Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur. And Benny, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard this Lady Gaga song in the past couple of weeks, well, I'd be a rich man. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? You know, about what? Nine bucks? Oh, my gosh, dude. As you know, 15. as you know, we're delayed uh -huh. here doing the pod because I was driving around Jersey City. I could have driven to Chicago in the amount of times I drove around town. That song came on three times. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so now that you're two weeks removed from from bashing Lady Gaga publicly, <laughs> would you like to issue any kind of statement, retraction, oh. anything? Oh, just... man. I, I would like to apologize to the fans first as the buzzer goes off in the background. See, the little monsters, they're coming for me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It happens. Great song. Top Gun movie. Getting phenomenal reviews. Yeah. Some people even saying it's better than the original Top Gun. I mean, I'm seeing a headline earlier that's like Tom Cruise, the role of his life. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I mean, go through the list yeah. here. There's a lot of like you ready to make that declaration already? Like maybe let it sit for a minute. You know, there could be a Top Gun three coming. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm real excited to see it. Danny, what? <sighs> I got to ask you something right <laughs> off the top here, because yeah. you're a little younger than me and tied into this stuff. Like, yeah. I'm someone who stops answering texts at like nine at night and begins again at six in the morning. So you can understand uh, where I'm at. But when somebody texts you a number you don't have saved oh. with Benny, is this still your number? That's just like sociopathic, right? Like, mm. like without addressing who you are, yeah. isn't that the move of a sociopath? Okay, so a couple things here because I'm glad and you this asked. This person might be listening. I don't know. I'm glad you asked this question. Great question because for the day job, I do a lot of texting people that don't want me to be contacting them. That's sure. just the life of right. the producer. Right. But, and you got to have some decorum. You got to state name, yeah. affiliation, who you're reaching out on, right. on, on behalf of. So to go buck wild and be like, hey, Benny, is this still your number? check with somebody else like guarantee somebody else that this person knows has your number and you can get your assurances that way right or i mean at the very like dude i literally even when i know somebody has yeah. my number i'm like yo it's benny what's up yeah just in case gotta sign it you gotta Absolutely. sign it <laughs> like you make these texts i bet you have like a template like like a text just ready to go like this is who i am i'm denny i'm a producer at this fucking yeah. thing i don't want like pictures of your dick i don't want anything <laughs> weird you know what i mean like i'm not somebody ancient from 25 <laughs> years ago like you know you gotta oh it just scares me i the universe it, i should just say this didn't happen to me yeah this is all a hypothetical situation i should have said johnny is this still your number? Because this didn't happen to me. But I'm just wondering how you would handle that situation. Do you want to hear something that did happen to me? You know, I'm very open and honest on, on this podcast. Oh, I love how this is starting. I was so I was trying to book a Golden State Warriors guest, and I'm and I'm going to leave the writer or the personality out of it who I was trying to reach. And okay. it was Saturday. We were in the city having a nice afternoon, had my copy and paste text ready. All I had to do was change the name. Nope. Uh -huh. Nope. So uh, some poor writer uh, that I was trying to book got a text that was like, hey, so-and-so. <laughs> oh, and he still so came on the program. So I guess all's forgiven. But. 
I want to know who, which one this is. <laughs> I'm also endeared by the fact that you have some level of access to Clay Thompson that oh. I'm looking for. Because oh. I'm still looking to go out on the boat with Clay and, and do an interview with him about life. Wait, like we could get his dad on like next week. Like I'm no, tight no, with no, Michael. No, no, no. <laughs> I want to sit on the kayak or in a kayak right next to him, take the cruise, munch on some edibles, <laughs> which you know he's doing, and and really find out what's going on out there on the water, really get into Clay's soul. He's got a lot more to say than this yeah. this basketball macho mumbo jumbo. I want to scratch to the depths of Clay Thompson. Well, you know what segment always scratches to the depths of whatever we end up getting ourselves into? Is it this day in music history? Ding, ding, ding. Do, 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 do. This is a fun one for me because I own this T-shirt. Ooh. This day in 1985, the PMRC, boo, or the Parents Music Resource Center, held a meeting in Washington to uh, garner support for their efforts to make offensive and uh, troubling lyrics uh, known to people, or they're going to sue the record industry, which began the Parental Advisory Explicit Content Stickers. Now, the three people who spearheaded this, just so you know, Tipper Gore, oh, close. wife of Al Gore, not as cool as she always was, <laughs> gets fired up after hearing her 11-year-old daughter uh, playing the Prince song, Darling Nikki. Oh, that's, wow. <laughs> yeah, Susan Baker, wife of, uh, at the time, Treasury Secretary James Baker. Her moment of outrage comes when her seven-year-old daughter asks her to define the word virgin <laughs> After hearing the Madonna song, Like a Virgin, a devout Christian, she likes classical music and country. Now, this one blows my mind because, like, I'm sorry, is virginity, like, not part of the Bible? It's a pretty big character. Like, you're going to have to explain this. Madonna gave you the perfect chance. Like, what the (laughs) fuck? And then the other one was Pam Hauer owned an ad agency married to the... uh, construction company fucking whatever she uh heard offensive lyrics played at her aerobics class and became concerned when her daughter listening to this music in quotes with this punk look about her (laughs) so this is when it all started and along with other like washington wives they sent out uh a list to two thousand political movers and shakers you know, literally copied right from their Christmas card list. This is just like (laughs) their friends. Uh, They said that, uh, you know, they were afraid of what their kids were dancing to, doing homework to, falling asleep to. Some rock groups advocate satanic rituals, sing of open rebellion against parental and other authority, and others sing of killing babies. So they got this on board. Of course, there's a very famous Senate hearing that John Denver, Frank Zappa, D. Snyder of Twisted Sister testified in opposition to the labeling, making the case that uh, the regulation could turn to censorship. But of course, the Recording Industry Association of America, the RIAA, which represents most record companies, agreed to voluntarily start placing stickers on, basically in order to... Uh, Mislegislation. So this was their, you know, little pellet they gave in order to not get sued by this new PMRC. Uh, I didn't know this though. The first stickers were small buttons that read "Warning: 
tone of this record unsuitable for minors. <laughs> that made it for th three years and only 50 albums got it. But then in 1990, they changed it parental advisory, explicit lyrics, and then to explicit content. Um, and then, you know, the way they got out of this, of course, was just by having clean version of the record, dirty version of the record, dirty version of the record, always won and always <laughs> sold way fucking more than the clean version. Bon Jovi had to scrap the wet T-shirt for Slippery When Wet for the wet garbage bag. <laughs> Uh, and now that we're digital, it just says explicit on the top of the thing. So I actually, in a way, even though like this was annoying at the time, it was one of those like banning books scenarios where like it became cool. Yeah. Like if you got the parental advisory thing, there was like a level of like this added like <laughs> coolness to it. And because of that, I had an actual shirt that just said parental advisory <laughs> explicit content in that logo. And I remember the first album I ever bought with it on it, and it was a shock to me, was I guess my father probably read like a New Yorker article or something on the film Boys in the Hood or John Singleton because he imagined this movie to be like culturally significant and something of importance, which I think was probably a unique perspective for a parent. And uh, we went to the store. I saw the Boys in the Hood soundtrack with the sticker. I said I wanted it. And he bought it for me mm. because he thought that I should hear about what the hell was going on. And I listened to that record a lot. Little Ice Cube, little yo-yo, mm. uh, like eh, it's a pretty good album. So that is the history of the parental advisory wow. started this day in 1985. That's amazing. A, uh, what is this? I should, this is a history class I just gave that's right. on a free <laughs> podcast. You know? You should uh, take this Come to on. the master class or at least Rutgers Online. No, when but, am I going to get this honorary degree I've been fishing that's for? That's right. That's right. Well, we'll I just keep, uh, I will add them to the mailing list of people I send clips from this podcast to. I just Thank send you. it to Thank Rutgers. Um, no, but that's interesting. That is a, a small, uh, not even a, a sacrifice to kind of keep making the songs the way the artist intended, which is, should be the goal. Yeah. 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 I, th I think, it, you know, at first when you read the story, you're like, oh, why did you buckle? You know, but yeah. then it's like, eh. Maybe it was a slick move. Maybe they yeah. knew what they were doing. And then people like Tipper Gore had to kind of, you know, lean left to, <laughs> to keep getting votes anyway. So I think she probably jumped off that train. Uh, well, it's awesome that you bring that up because, Benny, on this day in 2017, Kendrick Lamar went number one with uh, his fourth studio album, Damn. And, you know, uh, Ken, which... I, I always love that he put the period and not the exclamation mark. I really think yeah, like yeah. anytime you just do straight up period, it's awesome. It's um, but it won the 2018 Paul, Pulitzer Prize for music, making it the first non-jazz or classical work to earn that accolade. But why do I bring up Kendrick today? Because he's got a new album coming out, hi highly anticipated. And he's kind of going through a bit of a uh, Kareem moment here where he has been signing all of his uh, official... Uh, documents and press releases for the for the upcoming album with Oklahoma, which is, oh, is uh, right? from a uh, uh, the Choctaw indigenous uh, language, um, and it means uh, Okla, which I probably butchered like the whole thing. I probably butchered it because <laughs> I I can't do English on this pod, so I'm gonna try indigenous languages. Um, Essentially, what the whole thing means is uh, uh, God's people on God's behalf. So 
I'm um, gonna be very interested to see the visuals for the upcoming album. Had him, had his face, had had uh, like OJ's face on his body, Jesse Smollett, and so like a bunch of different people. So yeah, uh, Kendrick Lamar always making a statement. Anytime he puts something out, you've all, always got to talk about. It. So, but on this day in 2017, damn, went number one. I love it, and I I'm all about this stuff. I mean, even I just did a quick Google to learn the Lamar family history. Mm. And it's a variant spelling of the French Lamar, eh? Mm. You know, so so already, like, with a French background, like, you know where this name came from. You probably know how it came to pass. So if someone like Kendrick Lamar wants to change his name, I'm always fucking for it. Yeah. Um, And I I just think it's cool. I hope there's a symbol attached or something. And I was just mentioning to my wife yesterday or the day before, we were listening to the new Kendrick Lamar track that mm-hmm. that went. And one of the things I said to her was that I'm like, there's not a lot of hip hop artists that like when I'm done with the song, I got to go back again mm. because it's rich. It's not only rich, like lyrically and and with its level of thoughtfulness, but it's also always rich, like musically. There's yeah. kind of diversity and speed and tracks that like make his songs interesting. And I really believe in Kendrick Lamar as a true and long lasting artist. I'm a pretty big fan. Amazing stuff. Excited. I'm like, I'm sure that this next album, see, we talked about Lady Gaga, right? She wanted to make music for people to unite the world. Kendrick Lamar actually doing it. Yeah. What's doing it? Yeah. Another (laughs) person I awkwardly met once. Who? Kendrick? Yeah. Yeah. We played, (laughs) we played that made in America festival together his backstage tent was very close to mine. He was just kicking around. Mm. He wasn't like behind security or anything. So saw him out in the main hallway and just just said, hey, man, uh, I'm playing Gaslight Anthem. Just a big fan of yours. Shook his hand and there walked away. That's how you do it. Yeah. So I guess that one wasn't too awkward. Yeah. But he seemed like a quiet guy in person. Yeah. Thoughtful. And short. Love it. Much shorter than me. Hmm. Well, a lot of people are. Anyway. It's true. <laughs> Sorry, Danny. First headline today, Benny. Apple is discontinuing the iPod more than 20 years after the device became the face of portable music and uh, kickstarted the evolution in uh, for Apple as a, a company. So the iPod Touch will be the only version available for sold while supplies last, Apple said on Tuesday. So, so much here, you know, you have the rise of Apple as really like a blue chip stock in the country. Um, But then you also have what this has done for music. So at the end of the day, when all the iPods are sold out, when all the iPod Touches can no longer be bought in stores, what will the legacy be of the iPod? I mean, for me and people might like... Remember, I was a touring adult before the advent of this stuff. Yeah. So I had like a, a, you know, a level of experience pre and post that I feel a lot of people didn't have. That's why I'm a zenial, they call me. <laughs> and I am one of those people who carried around a disc man and a book of CDs. Often that would get like damaged mm. or, you know, very bulky like hard to keep in something and it was the norm at the time i didn't give a shit like this is just what we did but when all of a sudden like but there was always this high probability especially with disc men you know like you're in a bumpy van you're in an airplane like you know you're gonna lose a lot of tracks like you know (laughs) it gets a little annoying 
So all of a sudden, when, you know, I'm starting to see this thing that you can put like, wait, how many albums can I put on this thing? How do I do it? It's like that easy. And you do this. And all of a sudden I'm out on the road just with this like tiny little box with everything I need. And then like a year or two later, this tiny little box has fucking TV shows and shit on it. <laughs> like for a touring, it was kind of like this, this crazy miracle, <laughs> you know, like little <laughs> box that came out. And then, you know, as anything, it so quickly became the norm that everybody had. And then everybody started stepping up the tech where all of a sudden you could fit, you know, like 1500 songs and, you know, the size of this and all the stuff people have now. But I think to me, the biggest lasting legacy of it is the uh, almost like the death of the massive, messy CD booklet and <laughs> and the uh the birth of like carrying around your music digitally, I suppose. Yeah. It's so funny that you bring that up because I'm like old enough and, and also young enough where it's like, we had like the big CD changer. Like we had like right. cabinets filled of, of CDs. When, when, when we packed up the house that I grew up in, was the, the biggest box and the heaviest box we had was filled of all, all of the CDs. So yeah, to see yeah. that whole thing, go down to a bite size and then the incredible thing is like you, you know you have this like nanotechnology that is now used across the world and kind of evolves into like the iPod touch iPod touch yeah. becomes the iPhone and now inadvertently kind of uh, is is responsible for the society we have and now we're always looking down so um a big step for music, I'd put it right up there with the invention of like the record and like uh, and like cassette tapes and like stuff like that. So uh, huge, but um, as everything is now, everything is all on the phone. Most people, when they had like like vinyl records, uh, and there's been a shift away. Uh, there's been a company that's kind of like losing money, like somebody's gaining and somebody's losing with this with the iPod. Apple's still keeping all of the money even if they do have to now share it with probably Spotify. Yeah, I mean, the people got screwed, you know, like about six weeks or so ago, I interviewed uh, Carl Severson and Josh Grabell, who ran Truskill and Ferret Records, mm. you know, which were fairly, you know, large but independent, you know, um, hardcore record labels. And they both told me the stories of when the switch to digital happened and when, the big box stores and stuff st stopped gobbling up CDs. You know, they both told me the stories of them having so much overstock of CDs that they could not sell. They couldn't even give them away that like they had to hire these outside companies to come a either recycle or destroy them. And, you know, we're talking like half a million CDs and these are like mid independent companies, you know? Uh, so, I can't imagine what the majors and stuff, you know, they were probably getting rid of literally like in total hundreds of millions of CDs with jewel cases and CDs, <laughs> these things that were produced and printed using materials. So I think one thing that, you know, we failed to recognize, or I even do until, you know, about 15 seconds ago is even like the environmental impact yeah. of all this. And like when you're just, creating a product that 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 eventually quickly goes bad like it's got nowhere to go and this was another thing so maybe you know the digital thing was good for that as well 
And then at one point, Apple was the hottest stock out there. Had a pretty decent run there at, at number one. Not not to kind of quote the uh, like like the charts and stuff like that. So just kind of a a real legacy piece, a part part of the Steve Jobs legacy. Obviously, he has the original Mac, the MacBook, and all of that. The the iPad, but uh, a lot of that can't be can't happen if it's not for the iPod. So. And an interesting mix of American history and music history here today. It is. It's big. It's big. I still have one. I won't Same. throw away. <laughs> like, I'm like, there's a record on there that I really want. I know it. I just can't get it turned on. All right, Benny. Are you ready for a Forrest Gump reunion? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try to bait people in a little bit with this headline here. This just in from the Cannes Film Festival. The creative team behind Forrest Gump is getting back together, this time for a new story. But it's not just the creative team. They're bringing in the heavy hitters. They're bringing in Tom Hanks, Robin Wright back as well. The film is called Here, and it's described as a breathtaking, revolutionary odyssey through time and memory. The innovative story is a cen centered around a place in New England, uh, where from the wilderness and then later a home, love, loss, and struggle and legacy play out between couples, families over generations. The film begins production in September. Uh, Hank's having a bit of a moment here. You know, he's got the Elvis movie coming out. He's returning to this. Really uh, always made quality work, but he has peaks and valleys just like anybody else. But Benny, what do you make of this? I know the description's kind of vague. It kind of has to be. But what are you expecting here? Well, post-COVID resurgence for yeah. the Hankses. That's right. It's big. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, I think like it was also, you know, it's Zemeckis and the screenwriter who worked on Forrest Gump and Castaway. So like, you know, you just have two like American TNT classics that are basically on every night somewhere on TV if you watch TV. So just that basic crew right there is exciting. Um, I think it's a little strange. Like you can't bill it as like this Forrest, Forrest Gump was you know, 30 years ago. And like, you know, it's just a totally different uh, animal. But I am a little intrigued by the story of like what you just said, you know, the story being based around a place over many generations rather than the, the actual people and things running through it. I think it could be really interesting. I don't know anything about the story, but it sounds like it could be very grand and very... Mm you know, like huge in scale. So this team is the type of team who could take something like that on. One other thing I took from this article, though, which is always like these days when you start hearing about these like big screenplays and big screenwriters and these big films and this person is signed to this company for this and this like, man, there seems to be a really, really, really like small funnel at the top of the music or excuse me, the movie industry where like, you know, where only a select few can get through because it seems like the red tape and the things that have to happen for each and every single one of these movies to come out is, is more than like most people could, could manage unless you're in a very unique position to manage it, you know? Yeah, but the other interesting thing, like I feel like you have these like big grand things that may not get greenlit as fast. Though we do have the we we got the trailer this week for the new Avatar movie, which has been 14 years in the making and is like 
spent like a billion dollars to try right. to make one three-hour movie. Um, but then, but then there's also on like the independent lower level, you have people that are like breaking through and kind of creating their names on like the festival circuit that are spending like like a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars to like make these movies. So it's like an interesting juxtaposition juxtaposition right now that we kind of haven't seen since like the 90s when Miramax was buying up all of these where it's Mm. like maybe you're not getting these like big budget things that aren't like superheroes or like Avatar but like you are getting maybe that money is like spread out a little bit more across the roulette wheel so to speak yeah yeah I could see that especially with all the streaming stuff yeah all right, Benny. Well, that brings us to our next headline today about reality, maybe out of reality. There seems to be a real renaissance of the sports movie happening recently. And another one is joining the fold. Ray Romano will star and produce in a new film about the extraordinary life of American basketball coach Jim Valvano, uh, probably more known for his uh, uh, Don't Give Up, Don't Ever Give Up speech. Um, you know, that every year when you tune into the ESPYs, you see that. The script uh, is written by uh, Jim Strauss, who wrote or wrote the winning season, and Grace is gone. Key detail here, though: the Valvano family will provide key resources for the film, serving as executive producers. Anytime the family is on board, that's exactly what you want. So, Ray Romano as Jimmy V. What do you think? I love. I saw the. I was like, oh, perfect. (laughs) You know, there's literally there's very few people who could take on like the accent and the energy and kind of the frantic sort of thing. And when I saw the casting, uh, I was like, Oh, that's great. That fits right in perfect puzzle piece. And, uh, and I, I think I texted you as well. All I got to see is, is some less bearded version of Ray Romano's character on vinyl who, who really nailed like kind of an old school New York thing has the accent down, um, so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm all for this. I think it could be really interesting. I'm, I'm not, I'm, you'd be surprised. I'm a Ray Romano advocate. Oh, I love Ray Romano. <laughs> I got, boy, you thought the Gaga take was hot. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say this cause I love Ray Romano's serious acting so much. I, I'd almost say he's like the new Judd Hirsch. Wow. The new Judd Hirsch. No, because like, look at look at some. How of, old are you? Are you? <laughs> how are you not fifty three years old? What, what do you? What do you fucking have seen every episode sense. of Taxi. What are you the new about? Judd Hirsch. I'm supposed to be the one putting us in the older demographic. You got us going to like diner and shit. Oh, Denny, bad. I love that. Oh man, hey man, big fan, big fan of both the of the old guys. Soul, I guess, huh? <laughs> Woo. All right, let's move on, shall we? Let's move because yeah. we got a lot of stuff to get into today. Benny, yeah, you got a cantaloupe to eat. <laughs> I, got, I know. I've got lunch coming up or dinner yeah. coming up in a couple yeah, hours. Yeah, dinner in an hour. Come on. <laughs> All right. Uh, slightly turning our attention more to the sports world, Naomi Osaka has left IMG to start her own talent agency, going all LeBron on the tennis industry. Um, Osaka Sports Agency will be called Evolve, and it will uh, and it will be stylized, all capital letters, because if you're gonna call something, you better do it in all caps. Um, she's forming the agency with her agent. Um, who is also leaving IMG to start this thing. This has a chance to be transformational in not just women's sports, but sports on the whole. A big-name athlete like Naomi, who is, uh, you know, take, has caused a bunch of headlines for advocating for mental health, is taking her own business dealings into her own pocket. So, Benny, what do you make of this? Well, first, let me take you behind the curtain a yeah. little bit. 
as far as this stuff goes. And something that happens in this industry all the time is two people, three people, one person working at a major agency going, I have a great idea. I'm leaving this agency and I'm starting my own company and we're trying to do it. This happens constantly. People are marooning each other. Like these business, these people don't care about each other in these places. They're all stepping on top to be the fucking Scott Boris or whatever. Um, so the only, the, the really unique thing about this for the first time is it's an athlete independently wealthy who either her or this agent had this idea to do it and they are colluding to leave. So this happens all the time. But uh, Naomi Osaka, as usual, is a pioneer in the fact that she's kind of spearheading it. And it's genius. I don't know why more don't do it. They make so much money. There's so much money. You could start doing this at the drop of a hat. And if you offer one of these big time agents a couple years of serious money, you can get them to come too. It's smart. And as usual, she's a pioneer. I would say it's risky. But then you read and you're like, oh, she's ranked 20th on Sportico's uh, list of the world's highest paid athletes, prize money and endorsements totaling 53 million, top earner among women. Uh, she has equity in approximately 12 brands. She founded a skincare company and swimwear and sleepwear lines. Like she's a boss yeah. and she's just bossing out, you know, a little younger and with a different gender that normally goes along with this. And I think uh, she's awesome. I fully support this move. And uh, I'm excited to see who's the first uh, big time athletes to jump over to Evolve. Evolve. And, and, <laughs> and based on Instagram, it might be your boy, Kyrie, Kyrie Irving, hey. who, who, who was subtweeting uh Naomi Osaka trying to get on the roster. I love it. Add him to the roster. I think that, you know... Bad ad. Bad, that's your first <laughs> ad. Like, you, you took on some heat with your first ad. I think where, where this is going to have... There, there's a couple of things here. I think that this is going to have a tremendous amount of success at the college level, um, mm. getting a lot of people that... Oh, yeah. may, the NIL. May, yeah, yeah, may not get as much money on NIL. I, I saw this today. Uh, this upcoming fall... Most D1 uh, football and basketball players are going to be making 50000 a year, while like I'm sure like the women's soccer, track and field, tennis are not going to be making that much. So if she can prop up that group, that could change everything completely. And then the, the other thing, I wonder how long, you know, we kind of saw how much sex, uh, sex, how much success LeBron has had with Clutch. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> Freudian slip. How much sex LeBron is having with Clutch. Uh, no, uh, how much success LeBron is having with, with Clutch. Now I see where the LeBron thing is coming from. This makes more sense now. Listen, all I'm trying to say here, and, and I got to get it out before I completely die laughing, is that I, I, I wonder how many... Uh, Athletes are going to try to have their own agency because they see how much money it is coming in. And d does this become like labels, how like, you know, like a very successful artist can have their own label, but then it eventually gets bought up by your CAA or like your like big time agency. So it'll splinter apart a, a lot like how a lot of innovation does, but then it'll just end up coming back together and they'll get a huge payday. Sure. How, let me ask you, how's your night with LeBron? How does it play out in your head? Are you guys... 
Are you in front of a fireplace, bearskin rug, or is it more like met you at a club? Like, like where? How does it go? A lot of. A little sadomasochistic with LeBron. Okay. Okay. Oh, none of that's making it out. None of that. Why? Come on. This is the fun stuff. This is what people want to hear. We're not not journalists. This is what people want to hear. They want to hear the jerky voice. My my paycheck still comes from the NBA. I can't be having this. All right. To the hardwood we go as we kind of wind things down here and... Benny, the NBA playoffs are hot right now. There's no doubt about it. Scorching hot. Uh, On Wednesday night, we had a game for the ages between the Bucks and the Boston Celtics. Um, A game that saw the Boston Celtics lead by 14 at one point in the final 10 minutes of the game. And then they end up blowing it. Giannis comes up huge. Uh, Drew Holiday, arguably even bigger, uh, with a couple of uh, vintage Drew Holiday steals and blocks to kind of seal things. Uh, Bobby Portis with a big bucket as as well. So the Bucks head back to Milwaukee, up three games to two. But here's what I, I, I want to talk about, because down the stretch, Tatum and Smart kind of wilted again. And this has kind of become a trend that we've seen with them. Um, is this a case of uh, they'll... Tatum and Smart, uh, excuse me, Tatum and Brown will never get the monkey off of their back until they beat Giannis. Is this an experience thing, or or do you just think that this is a best player in the world that's not going to be stopped in that particular moment? Well, I mean, let's see how it pans out before we make those kinds of declarations. Yeah. I think also you got to put that more squarely on Jason Tatum than Jalen Brown, like yeah. because when you're in this sort of scenario, and I think we've seen it play out in this series, like Boston is better, more than likely the better team, the deeper team, the more well-run team uh, who puts themselves in a better position to win consistently through this series, but they don't have somebody who can match Giannis. I mean, not to say anybody does Mm. like we may be dealing with a singular force of nature when, You know, like when we were in the 90s and, you know, there were these great teams that could just never get through because of, you know, the obvious. So I'm not ready to make that declaration yet. If it's Jason Tatum not being a a big time player who can get through and who can do this stuff, or if it's just the fact that we're looking at uh, a generational talent. I mean, even just put he just had his sixth. 40 and 10 game in the playoffs, right? Crazy. Yeah, tied with Kareem all time. Dude, there's only <laughs> this is the list. LeBron James, yeah. Shaquille O'Neal, Hakeem Olajuwon, and Kareem. Crazy. That's the list who have done it six times. He's pretty young, man. Yeah. He, like this is like only the third year I've considered the Bucks and him like actual title contenders that can do the thing. You know, maybe fourth because Mm. of the bubble. Um, So, like, you know, we could be having an early conversation on, oh, this guy's like one of the best players ever to have ever played the game. Not even like this is the best player to currently be playing the game. And when you have that kind of talent, just like all bets are off. And then you saw it uh, in this series. And this is like the beauty of team building, you know, like 
the Bucks people maybe don't recall how much they gave up for Drew Holiday. And at the time, it was a little like, eh, we're doing that much for Drew Holiday? Like, it's not really a household name here. Like, uh, what's this guy actually bring to the table? And the team kept telling you for years and years, this is a premium defender who obviously got fired up from the fact that Marcus Smart won Defensive Player of the Year because he's been a fucking animal since that award came out. (laughs) And I think this is like the beauty of team building. Like, sometimes it takes literally like this many years to just go like, Oh, that's why that guy is this special. Not that he's just good. He's really good at one thing in basketball and he is a next level defender. And I love that two defensive plays, not even one closed out the game. Like that's fun. That's a lot of fun. I was about to tweet last night. Drew Holiday's defense is sexy because honestly, and and, and I've said this a bunch of times on, on this podcast. I think Drew Holiday is doing for defense what Steph Curry has done for the three. You know, if you're not as as talented as some other kids coming up with like like shooting or stuff like that, what's the one thing that you can control? Your defensive effort. Drew Holiday has had a bunch of uh, championship esque plays last year and, and now this year. I would not be surprised if kids are like, I'm going to get after and try to be Drew Holiday rather than Steph Curry. Yeah. And I mean, the one thing maybe even I was was discounting prior to getting into this playoffs is, you know, Drew Holiday is, you know, smart and has, you know, super quick hands and long arms. And you're like, these are all the reasons he's strong. Yeah. Like, and that's one of the reasons he can do so much of this stuff. Drew Holiday has this really exceptional like core and upper body strength where you know even bigger players try to try to back in on him try to get in on him he doesn't allow the position he knows just what to do with his hands and it's really fascinating to watch i mean a guy at his size really can almost legitimately cover one through four on the court which is just wild Mm. you know um but yeah it's some next level shit uh you know I, i i don't know what are we seeing? Is is Boston get getting out of uh, Game Six with Milwaukee at home? So as it's been well documented on this podcast, I have been confused by the team building of this Bucks roster for now two years. Um, I thought when they got rid of a, a lot of the, of the guys from last year, whether not wanting to spend or any, anything, I, I was like, how is this going to work? Um, but, you know, a, a guy like Bobby Portis has been invaluable. Uh, Grayson Allen at times has shown that he can hit the big shot. Drew Holiday time and time again. Anytime I start to discredit the Bucks, Drew Holiday uh, hits a, a big three that yeah. either ties it or, or gives them, them the lead. Um, the gloves are off. To be honest, I'm not going to bet against this team anymore because I think my prediction at the start of this was Boston in seven. You know, I hate to go uh, against my team, but logic was like Boston is deeper. They're the hottest team in the league coming into it. Best defense signs that typically indicate, Hey, this team's going to win the series. But I went against my own logic on best player in the series normally wins Giannis world beater right now. So I'm, I'm going to think going back home in front of this crowd from Milwaukee crowd, the deer district. I don't think this goes back to Boston. Yeah, may not. And, and this is increasingly feeling like the, uh, this is the Eastern conference finals. Yeah. 
it's increasingly feeling that way with the the level of like physicality and energy in this series i mean it's hard to see any other team match this at all well let's move over to that other series uh miami heat versus the philadelphia 76ers the miami heat have a 3-2 vic uh, have a 3-2 series lead after a game five that saw the sixers just come out flat miami ran away with it um in particular joel Embiid kind of coming out flat and now i know that he's he's bat battled injury it, it's an absolute blessing that he's out on the court right now but uh going into a game uh a potentially clinching game uh to send them to the conference finals how are you feeling about the heat as contenders right now or is this more of a statement about the sixers and Embiid not getting it done I think what the Heat are doing is sort of, you know, a bit of a, you know, a Toronto Raptors of a couple years ago, uh, you know, Mavericks of, you know, 2011. Like, I think they're in a position where they are very good. They're healthy. They're well coached. And I think they're like, you know, a major injury for another team away from getting through to the finals. So... So I do think Miami is in a an interesting position, as we've seen in the last few years, of just like where consistency and good coaching and health on a very good team may be enough to get you through this year if some other windows open. But with more health, I don't see them getting through either a Milwaukee or a Boston as it stands currently. Yeah, in a series against either of, of those teams, you look at the matchups, right? You're like, okay, if Jimmy Butler is going to get you between 35 to 40 that he's been doing, well, you, that's been matched by Giannis going between that kind of thing. Or even against the Heat, I bet you Tatum goes for like 35 to 40 a game. I could see it. So then you kind of look down, down, down the line, and the advantage at the second best player goes goes for – either Drew Holiday or Jalen Brown. So I, I think you're exactly right when you say that the Bucks uh, celtics series is the thing because uh, the Miami Heat, I love them. Great story. Tyler Hero, six-man. Max Drews, great story. Um, obviously, the culture and all of that stuff. But uh, they need more from Bam Adebayo if, if they're going to get there. He has not been, played at the all-star, all-world level that they need him to to make a, a run. So... Right now, the Heat, I, I just don't – they may make it past this, but I, I don't see them making it to the conference, uh, the NBA yeah, Finals. Yeah. And the BAM thing is interesting because it's a big indication of, you know, regular season versus playoff basketball mm. where BAM, you know, often in the regular season is almost operating as like a point big, you know, top of pick and rolls. They run a lot through them. They let him manage a lot of the offense at times. And uh, when you get, you know, to the finals or, or, or excuse me, the playoffs with like, you know, a, a run, you know, a gun in Sixers team that's shooting from all over, they don't have the time and or the setup, you know, to, to run that sort of offense anymore. So I think he's in a different position to find his own offense where in the regular season it's, you know, it's, it's made for him. All right. And then let's go to the Western Conference, shall we? Uh, on Wednesday night, the Golden State Warriors got absolutely trounced by the Memphis Grizzlies. That series still stands at Warriors, uh, leading it 3-2. to two. Um, We've never quite seen a team 
that got blown out like this in a postseason game. I mean, absolutely looked lifeless. Go on to win a championship. Uh, where are you feeling right now on the Golden State Warriors championship vibes? Uh, championship vibes are looking, you know, much sketchier than they were. And, and again, I, you know, I'm not sure what to make of, of last night's Memphis game. You know, in a way, it really, after a short time in that game, it felt like a punt for the Warriors. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not exactly sure why. I mean, they had a 3-1 lead. Maybe they... it's hard to imagine, but it it almost feels like they made some kind of internal decision to focus their energy on game six. Um, So I'm not making too much of that. Um, I do find it increasingly interesting the way the Grizzlies play without John Moran. I'm not saying like he makes them worse or anything like that. I will, will not go to that town, but when you're dealing with certain, uh, you know, 20 and six in the regular season. And I'm like, a, you know, 40 point trouncing of the Warriors. It's like, huh, you know, raises your eyebrows. It's like there's something going on here. But I do think the Warriors still cement this series. Um, but I think some of the holes we see in this series, mm-hmm. particularly with Draymond and, uh, you know, Clay, like sort of still coming into shape and kind of getting beat off the ball a lot, you know, we like to talk about this big three of the warriors as if it's the same one that was running in those, you know, uh, late uh, aughts there, but you know, Draymond, his offensive game used to be passable. You used to have to cover him at the three point line, at least and mm. try to find something clay. You know, if you recall, used to be the lockdown defender of anyone one through three, you know, um, and he was adequate at it and not to his own, you know, discredit because of his injuries and age. Uh, he's not really that guy anymore. So as exciting as the Warriors are, I do almost in the same context, I get a strange feeling that the winner of this Suns Mav series, which is most likely going to be the Suns, I'm sure we'll talk about it, is also the Western Conference Finals. All right. So what are you looking at for the week ahead? What's your uh, prediction, your vibe? What are you feeling for the week ahead? I think I think Luca has one more epic performance just to show that he's Luca and and you got to take this guy seriously for many years. But I see the sun's coming out. I see the Warriors still pulling it out because they'll win one of the next two. Um, I do think the Bucks are going to eventually pull this out as well. Um, so that's what I'm seeing going ahead, but I I'm kind of sticking to the idea that I really do believe this Bucks Celtic series and the Suns Mavs series are kind of the sort of Eastern and Western conference finals. It's a bad nod for the next round. Right. <laughs> exactly. My prediction for the week ahead is that uh, the attitude of this Warriors team stinks. They're acting like they have this, all this championship pedigree, uh, Draymond's talking a lot more. That's how you know like the levels of the Warriors level of good. Um, when they're great, Draymond's not too loud, but when they're yeah. very mediocre, Draymond's on his podcast talking all this shit. So yeah, I almost wish it's one of those you know NBA playoffs where I'm like, of course I'm gonna watch everything. You yeah. know I'm gonna. But there's a part of me that's just like, can we just fast forward to Suns Bucks here. <laughs> Because that's, that's the series I think we're going to see, and I'd really like to watch, you know? Me too. Me too. God, my stomach cannot handle that. I was freaking out 
in against these Celtics. But anyway, playing ways to get in contact with the show, you can email us at the tune up podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. If you want to follow us on all the social platforms, we're at the tune up HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you want to follow the big man, he is on Twitter at Benny Horowitz. One, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I'm at Denny underscore Gallagher. Ben, you got anything else? Yeah, just when you text someone out of the blue, it's been a while. You know, just put your name on it. Just be like, hey, it's me. You know, that's it. Once again, my apologies to Lady Gaga. The show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to The Tune Up. <laughs>